how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And of course, this evening we now come to the time in our service where we look specifically at God's Word. And of course, the message that we have is really contained in the hymns that we've been singing. And as we consider that hymn that we have sung together, and it talks about how marvelous, how wonderful is the love that God has for us. Now, we can't always understand all of these things. Many things happen in our lives, and people say to me, well, how can you possibly say God is a God of love? But he is, and this evening we're going to look at some of the reasons how we understand and know this. Now, if you've got a Bible, uh, please uh, turn with me. If you haven't, don't worry, that's absolutely fine. Uh, If you haven't got a Bible at home, just ask us. We've got a whole uh, load of Bibles that we'll gladly give you to take away, uh, and there's no charge for doing that, and it would be our privilege to be able to give you one. Just ask at the back of the church and uh, one of the uh, ushers will gladly pass that to you. So we turn to 2 Corinthians 5, uh, reading from verse 12 to verse 15. And if you were here last week, you'll know that this is the text that we looked at then as I endeavored to share not just a testimony of myself, but a testimony of people that my parents had had connections and contacts with during the course of their life. And as a child, I remember so vividly the times And it was interesting that uh, Judy here said to me afterwards, as a missionary's kid, an MK, did you ever feel that you weren't as important as everybody else was? And yes, there were times that I could have felt that. But I look back now and I recognize very, very clearly the, uh, the wonderful opportunity that there was for us as a family, but as my parents were able to be involved, to to share the gospel in a compelling fashion, in a compelling way because we need to be able to do that. You see, there's no point in, uh, and the words that we'll, we'll read in just a moment explain this, but we're not interested in, in Christians that are just Christian in name only. Okay? What we want and what we need to see is the fact that knowing Jesus changes us, changes our lives inside out. And that's the message that we need to look at, because obviously there's lots of people that look good on the outside, in fact, Jesus spoke about whitened sepulchers. And what he was talking about, a sepulcher is a tomb. And it's lovely and painted all white and fresh on the outside. But inside, there is death, there is decay. And there are people that walk around like that, you know, polished on the outside. But what's their heart like? And that's the message that we have to look at. So 2 Corinthians, that's uh, in the New Testament of the Bible towards the end. And uh, we read from verse 12. And it's under the title... Uh, in the uh, New King James Version of Be Reconciled to God. And I want you to notice as we read this uh, section that it's, it's not an option. It's a commandment that's given. Be reconciled. Verse 12 says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast, wait for it, in appearance and not in the heart. Have you ever noticed those verses? If you're a regular person who attends church, it's so easy for us to read verses and not fully understand or to miss the significance of some of the, uh, the nuances that are contained there. An answer for those who boast in appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. 
For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, the Lord Jesus died for all, that those who live should live, wait for it, no longer for themselves, but for him who has died for them and rose again. That's our text for this evening, and what a powerful text it is. But what does it mean to you? You've read it before, you've heard it before. You're just getting comfy in your seat. You know, you're finding that that's the seat you always sit in, and there's that little hollow that you've developed over the years, and you're just getting your back uh, to fit it. Perhaps close your eyes. If you nod off, try not to snore too loud. You might wake the person up next to you. That's not what church is about. That's not why we're here. We're here because we want to come and we want to understand and we want to learn about what it really means to be a believer, what it really means to be a Christian, what it really means to be able to trust in a God who has said, I will care for you. I will provide for you. I will be all that you need. That's the God that we have. A God who says, I know what your life is like. I know the sin that is so much in your life. What are we going to do about it? Well, we can't do anything. We can try and put on a good appearance, as the verse says. A good appearance, but not in the heart. Or we can listen to the God who created the universe. And he tells us that he has sent his son because he loves us. And his son died in our place for the sin that is in our life. In other words, he took the heat. He went to the cross for me and for you. And during the last few Sunday evenings, we've been looking at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we continue, I think, almost uh, up to, uh, to Easter as, uh, as we look at this series, looking at different aspects, different angles, different facets of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like this glass of water. No, it isn't. That's not a good example. It's like this pulpit. I, I can see the back. The back is untidy and it's messy. There's a box of tissues hidden away back here. But you get to see the front of it. And, you know, it looks... A few wires hanging around, but it looks better, doesn't it? And so as we come together and we look at the different facets of the cross, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to see it from different angles, what it means. We try and understand what it means for us, what it means for God, what it meant for the Lord Jesus Christ, the way that Jesus saw the cross. And today, the title of our message is, He died that we might live for Him. So this is the reason that we're considering this evening. Now, there are many unsaved people, people that don't go to church, not interested in church, haven't stepped foot in a church perhaps at any point in their life. But there are many people like that in the world today who you would describe as being the kindest people you've ever met. In fact, when you meet them, you think to yourself, this person should be a Christian. But you discuss it with them and they say they're not interested. It's, it's a strange anomaly. You know, there's people that will help old ladies across the road. Why do we always say old ladies? Old men need a hand across the road as well. There are people who go out and clear snow in someone else's yard because they're kind people. 
They want to help. And sometimes Christians can have the wrong idea and think to ourselves, we're the only ones that care. Well, that's not entirely true. There are people who go to war zones. They don't go because they're believers, but they go because they want to help. They want to encourage people that are struggling and suffering. There are people who go where there are great famines that are taking place. And they want to help because they see the needs that people have. And so we mustn't have the idea that Christians have a monopoly on being nice to others. In fact, I've met some Christians who you think to yourself, oh dear, <laughs> you don't behave like a Christian. You know, you're more interested in what I've got than perhaps what other people need. However, deep down, the person without Christ in their hearts, because of human nature, is basically as selfish as the person who knows Christ but doesn't live for him. You see, human nature is human nature. I got a feeling that none of us would argue about that point here. We are who we are. And our human nature means that we live in the way that we choose to live. There's a little book in the, a little letter in the New Testament. It's called Titus, and it's uh, in chapter 3 and verse 3 that we have this verse, and it says this, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice, and envy, hateful, and hating one another. <laughs> now, what this verse is helping us to understand is that how we were before we were saved is the description that we have here. But as we read the Scriptures, as we read the New Testament, as we read what Jesus had to say, we discover that in Jesus, when we come to faith in Him, when we finally realize our great need of salvation, the fact that we are sinners, when we realize these things, when we realize that we are not friends with God, when we realize that there is a distance, there is a gulf, there is a gap between us, and we suddenly discover that we do not know God, then we see that we need to have that faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, because in Jesus, there is a change that takes place in our life. You could argue and say that selfishness in itself is a test of our salvation. Even our acts of so-called goodness to others were twinged with selfishness and self-gratification so that nothing we did could ever meet God's high standards of righteousness, even though so often we try. Whether we admit it or not, our desire was to please ourselves. And not to glorify the Lord. And so this evening, I want to just look at three very simple points um, that become new in our lives when we come to accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. Or at least three things that should become new to those 
who have come to faith in Jesus. What are they? Well, the first one is a realization that as a believer, as a Christian, we're under new management. Now, that's just putting it in a very simple way. I don't know if you've ever been to perhaps a restaurant and you went in at some point and the food was terrible. The tablecloth was dirty. It, the menu was awful. <laughs> and when the veggies came, they'd been boiled to death. There was no goodness left in them. And then maybe, you know, you're desperate and one day, a couple of years later, you come back to the same restaurant and, and it, it was there, it was the only place you had to go and you needed to go in and you had, you know, you, you're not thinking for the best. And everything's changed. The menu's been improved. The tablecloths have been washed. The glasses shine. The difference is because there is new management that has taken over. The old has gone and the new has come. And that is a very biblical statement. We'll look at it in just a moment. So there's the realization that when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a new master. We're under new management. The second thing is that we have an understanding that as believers, we have a new motivation in our life. Motivation is important. Now, I'm not stood up here as a motivational speaker this evening. My only desire, the concern that I have, is to be able to explain clearly what it is to trust in Jesus. And I know that if and when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll discover that your motivation in your life will change. Again, as the Bible tells us, the old is gone and the new comes. And the new comes in and transforms us, changes us. And people come along and they say, I don't recognize this person. What's happened to them? Nothing's changed on the outside, but on the inside, everything's changed. They're kind, they're gracious, they want to help. And there's a sense that you get from them that they are now concerned about you. And the last uh, point, thirdly, is that as believers we have a new measure or way of seeing people in our lives. You know, that's one of the biggest problems, I think. That so often as believers, how do we see people in the world? Well, we're going to talk about how Jesus saw them. Because he loved them. And he was prepared to go to the cross for them. And then very quickly in closing, I want to talk about the fact that reconciliation is important. That we are reconciled to God himself. And this means that we have to be reconciled to each other. Churches are not always peaceful places. Sometimes aggravation, failing set in. And you think to yourself, I'd prefer to be anywhere else except here tonight. So those are the points, the roadmap, if you like, as to what we're going to be looking at. Friends, if you're holding a grudge against someone here this evening, or somebody outside of the church, but you're here this evening, then you are not proving yourself to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ because there's no opt-out clause. You can't have the A list and the B list. The A list of the people that you get on with and the B list of the ones that you wish never to see again. We don't have a situation like that. So our text, as we've read it, is uh, verses 14 and 15. For the love of God compels us. Let me say that again. The love of Christ, sorry, the love of Christ compels us. Now the word compel is, is a tremendously strong word. 
And this word is being presented to all of us, not just a, a select group of the nice ones, the ones that appear or should be Christians or whatever, but it says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So we come and we talk about a new master. Now let me explain to you that if you're not a believer here this evening, uh, first of all, thank you for coming. It's really kind of you to turn up. I'm grateful. I know there's a few of you that would fall into that category. Some of you come week after week, and I do think to myself sometimes why, but I'm grateful that you're here, and I pray one day that you'll understand what it is that draws you to come and to take part in these messages, these services. But if you're not a believer here this evening, do you know who your master is? Now you might think this is a bit of a negative way of talking about things. And of course, in that statement, you'll immediately reject it because you're going to say to me, I have no master, I am my master, it's me. And that's fine, you can carry on and believe that. I can talk to you about it. We can talk together about it. But that will be the thing that you will say. Nobody tells me what to do in my life. Nobody. I go where I want. I do what I want. I say what I want. I think what I want. I was in a hotel once in China. And I don't know if you know much about uh, uh, Chinese form of communism or whatever. But um, <laughs> there was a notice on the hotel uh, on the bedroom wall that said something like this. It, it said, we know what you're thinking. Okay. And uh, it went on to say that immoral thoughts are wrong. All right. And it was in, you know, when you get those instructions that have been translated from Chinese into English and it's got lost in translation somewhere. If you've ever tried to assemble something, um, this is why I get my wife to do all the assembly work at home, okay? Because she seems to understand it without worrying about it. But the instructions can be so strange. And what it was saying was, you know, we're watching you. But you're saying, no, no one's watching me. I am my own master. So why are you talking to me about this? If you're not saved, if you've not come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if the cross of Jesus means absolutely nothing to you, then according to the Bible, you have been mastered by three things, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now we see this in Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 3, where we read, and you he made alive. Now that sentence in itself is incredible. Let me say it again to you to try and get you to understand it. And you he made alive. Now what that means is, is the other side of that coin, if you like, is that you were dead before you were made alive. And you might be saying, well, I'm my own master, and I'm alive, I'm breathing. I eat, I drink. But the Bible says, he, you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. There it is. You're not your own master, the world is your master. The world is expecting certain things from you. 
and you fulfill the commandments that are given in the way that the world functions and operates. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, there's the next one that we have. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, there's the third one. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. That is who you are if you continue to reject Christ. You are not your own master. You are the master of the world. The system in the way that the world works and functions and operates. It's insidious. You don't realize it sometimes, but it's leading you. It's guiding you. It's pushing you. The flesh, the weaknesses of the flesh. Look at the problems that we see here. Children that are abused. Horribly abused. Murder. Violence. I say this graciously, but children that are aborted, made in the image of God. And then there's Satan who comes in and leads us astray. But of course, this is who we all once were. And some of us are still in that state of deadness that the Bible speaks about. Then God said to Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 2 verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And that's what happened. They did die to God. Yes, you're breathing, but you are dead to God. And there's one little chap here who's just making sure we know he's breathing. And that's great. Well done. Good man, Sawyer. According to the course of this world means the visible system around us that hates Christ. It's incredible how people will be so anti the gospel, anti the Lord Jesus Christ. And wants to pressure us into conformity with its evil ways. Look at Romans 12 too. We're subtly affected, energized, if you like, by the prince of the power of the air. We may not realize it, but we are conforming to the way that Satan wants us to live. He doesn't make a big deal of it. He doesn't have to. Because the little things lead us and we follow we do whatever pleases us. We gratify the lusts of the flesh and all the time we forget that sin ultimately has terrible consequences. But when you come to the cross and you place your belief and your trust in the Savior, when your burden of sin is relieved, then you find that you're under new management. The old is gone, the new has come. We have a new master. Because of the cross and trusting in Jesus Christ, we have been set free from all that we have just spoken about. We're set free from the way that the world tries to operate within us. We're set free from the way that the flesh so encourages us to sin and grievously sin. We're set free. 
from the power of Satan within our life. Yes, we allow Satan to come in from time to time and we shouldn't do and we're told to put the armor of God on in Ephesians 6 and so on in many other places. Galatians 6 verse 14, but God forbid that I should glory except in the Christ of our, a cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me. Did you hear those words? By whom the world has been crucified to me. I'm going to ask you, tell me about your crucifixion. Is there anybody who'd like to do that? Now you're on the spot, aren't you? Because some of you can understand what I'm talking and others are thinking, he's gone completely balmy. But you see, this is what the Bible says. Our sin has been crucified. It's been nailed to the cross. It's no longer ours. Because in Jesus, we died, we're buried, and we're raised to new life. So go home tonight and think about your crucifixion. And if you can't relate to it, then you need to go back a stage. And you need to consider, do I really know who the Savior is? In his victory on Calvary, on the cross, Jesus defended the world, defeated rather, defeated the world system so that it need not control you any longer. And as we obey our new master, we'll experience victory. Now we do have to just read a few verses, if we may, uh, from 1 John. Uh, 1 John, as uh, many of you will know, is uh, one of my favorite sections of Scripture. It's uh, a fabulous uh, little, uh, uh, little letter, and uh, it's uh, known as the letter of love. It's known as, uh, as a place that we can go to to receive that enormous encouragement that we need from time to time. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Let's read them together. 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. Just a short section. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God, what does he do? He abides forever, because we do the will of God. God lives within us. The Lord Jesus Christ lives within us. You see, on the cross, Jesus also conquered the flesh. Galatians 5 verse 24. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There we are. We're taken back to that question. Tell me about your crucifixion. Drink. Dare I say it, Cigarettes. Somebody complained about the people that smoke outside the front of the church. What sort of a testimony do you think you have at your church when you have to fight your way through a group of people smoking? I mention it because my heart of hearts, if I can do anything to help you guys, we will do so. Smoking won't stop you getting to heaven, but it'll help you as you begin to see that your body is indeed the temple of the living God. Weed, pot, sex, and so on. 
How do we apply this victory in our lives? Well, we read the next verse there in in, uh, Galatians 5, this time verse 25, and it says this, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So here we begin to see what's happening, is that God doesn't just change us, but He walks with us. He goes through every single day in our lives if we call to Him, if we allow Him to do so. And He leads us. And He guides us. And finally, on the cross, Jesus defeated the devil. John 12, 31 to 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Will draw all peoples to myself? Friends, this verse means that you're not an exception. You're part of all people. And the cross, if you look to Jesus, you cannot help but be drawn to him. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Where? On the cross. The battle that Jesus fought on the cross against the powers of hell was not some minor skirmish. It was a major assault that ended in complete victory for the Savior. Now, we've got to hurry up because time is, is, uh, is going against us. But we discover that when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our motive changes. Not only do we have a new master, but we also have a new motive. For the love of Christ compels us. Remember that verse in 2 Corinthians 5.14? It was love that motivated the Father to give His Son to be the Savior of the world. We see this in John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Are you an exception? No, you're not. Paul explained, he loved me and he gave himself for me. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, who who was involved in the murder of people, Christians. He was a murderer. He loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. However, we do need to keep in mind that God not only loved the lost world, but he also loved his son. And I wonder if you've ever noticed that the first time that you read the word love in the New Testament is when God the Father declares from heaven at the baptism of the Lord Jesus, this is my beloved son. Where does the word love appear the first time in the whole of the Bible? Does anybody know? It almost doesn't seem right. Phil, you're looking. I can see the cogs turning. (laughs) Does anybody know? It's Abraham with Isaac. Your only son whom you love. Do you see the link between the two? John 3.35 and 5.20 The father loves the son. And yet the Father was willing to give his beloved Son as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross. Wesley put it that way, and I'm 
should have thought about this. We, were, we sang it last week. We could have sung it this week. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And it is. Because you know yourself better than I know you, but God knows you better than you know yourself. And you're thinking to yourself, why in the world would God ever do something like that for me? I can't understand why he has for me. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, said C.T. Studd. Now, does anyone know who C.T. Studd was? Okay. Um, Judy knows who C.T. Studd was. C.T. Studd was a great English cricket player. <laughs> now, that's not what you were expecting, were you? No, he was. Well, we lost, we, we missed him dearly because suddenly God called him to go off to the mission field to, uh, to, be, a, uh, to be a missionary in Africa. And cricket has gone downhill ever since C.T. Studd left because he was a superb batsman. But he said, if Christ be God and died for me, and by the way, he was not well, he was um, considered too ill to go to Africa, but he said this, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. You see, your motive changes completely. And all of a sudden, there's nothing in the world that stops you from wanting to bring praise and glory to God. Has your motive changed? If it hasn't, you need to consider whether you're saved. Have you come to know the Savior? And of course, this brings us on to the last point of the new measure, the new way that we look at things. Because of the cross of Jesus, we live by a new measure. We don't look at uh, other people the way that we did when we were lost in our sins. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Let me ask you, how do you view a lost world? Do you see in your heart when people, you watch unsaved people acting like unsaved people do, what do you see? Do they irritate you? Do they repel you? Do they make you angry when you read some of the stuff on social media? Doesn't it make you angry? What did Jesus do when he looked at a lost world? When he looked at a lost sinner? When he looked at a woman who was a prostitute? When he looked at people who were liars and would steal from others? What did he see? Well, he saw them, according to the scriptures, as helpless and harassed sheep wandering hopelessly without a shepherd. And our Lord Jesus was moved with compassion by what he saw. You read uh, Matthew 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary. He saw how tired they were. The battle to survive each and every day just continued. And he saw this. Moved with compassion upon them. He also saw a waiting harvest that would become a wasted harvest if somebody didn't bring in the sheaves. And he said to his disciples and to us by default, he said this, do something. Do something. When we sit in our pews, we go home, we have relative luxury. 
But as a fellowship, I believe we do try harder than some. Our meals program that we have for uh, people in Woodstock, homeless, in weather like this. How many meals were distributed today? 50, 50, 55 meals today. Well, we're doing something. We're not proud. We're just doing what we're supposed to do. Because God has shown his love to us, therefore we show our love to a world that needs to see that love. Christian not in name only. If our faith in Jesus Christ isolates us from those who are in need, then there's something wrong with our faith. There's something wrong with our hope. There's something wrong with our love. And when you come to faith in the Savior, you live by a new measure, and it's this. We value people, not for what they own or what they can do for us, but for what they can be when they come to faith and they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If we're really constrained by love, then we see every lost person we meet, including those who persecute us, as candidates for the new creation. The gospel is the good news that we don't have to stay the way we are. And this evening, if you're thinking to yourself, well, you know what? I don't actually want to stay the way I am. Is it possible to change? The answer is yes. How does that change take place? Through the power of the Holy Spirit working within you, through your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so that brings us to the very last point that we have this evening. And briefly, I just talk about it because it's important. Reconciliation. Now, that's a word that accountants use. Um, <coughs> it's a word that all of us should be familiar with because when we do our, uh, our uh, monthly accounts, if you can't reconcile your account, you've got to work out where all the cash has gone. You know, what have you wasted your money on? What have you spent on things that you shouldn't have done? I could imagine... Uh, uh, some households where uh, they finally do a reconciliation because the credit card won't work anymore. It's, it's maxed out. And, and, you, and you, you're, you're sort of in Walmart and you're thinking to yourself, what am I going to do now? And then you think to yourself, I should have reconciled things sooner. Because of the cross, God is reconciling rebellious sinners, rebellious people with himself. How? Through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. What a wonderful verse that is. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And that's the commandment that you have this evening. It's not an option. This is the commandment that we bring, that God brings to us. Revelation 22, verse 17, and the Spirit and the bride says, come, and let him who hears, come, and let him who thirsts, come. Are you thirsty for God this evening in a way that you want to see your life changed? Whoever desires, let him take the water of life 
freely, without cost. The Holy Spirit through the church is convicting the world and calling lost sinners back to God. But God is not only reconciling lost sinners to himself, but he's also reconciling believers to one another. Believing Jews and Gentiles, people that were poles apart, are reconciled together. They're made one in Christ Jesus. Members of the same body, citizens of the same household of faith, living stones in the same glorious temple. Ephesians 2, 11 to 22 again. And yet we come to church after church and we see Christians slogging it out over some small point. We won't do this, we won't do that. Because. Because what? Because you think differently. Breaking the unity that God has sent through His Son dying on the cross that Jesus has won for us on the cross we can't do that. We're told to fight for unity. The first birth, because all of us have been born here. Okay, it's fair enough that we can't remember a great deal about our birth, but we were there. If you want to know any of the details, you have to speak to your mother. <laughs> because she was there too. <laughs> The first birth differences which bring division and competition in the world do not divide the church of the twice-born. We can't allow that to happen. What do I mean by twice-born? Well, it's that phrase which is so often used and you see it in social media and they talk about these terrible born-again Christians. But what can I say to you? It's what actually happens. We're born into this world, but we're dead. And then we're born again when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why the world ridicules this is because it is the most wonderful thing that can ever happen to you. It is a transformation that takes you out of the world and puts you into the kingdom of heaven. Your eternity in heaven begins from that day, that moment, when suddenly you recognize your need of salvation. That you can't do it on your own. And you give it all to the Savior. And he walks in and he says, you're my friend. He says, I love you. He says, I've died for you. He says, your sin is buried. It's in the past. And as my wife reminded me recently, as Corrie Ten Boom had said, it's buried in the deepest ocean. And there's a little sign floating over the top which says, no fishing. Because it's been buried. It's gone. It's taken away. So how do we continue this vital ministry of reconciliation in today's splintered world? Well, to begin with, it happens with our example of love. For if people don't see Christians loving one another, how can they believe that God loves them? The unity of the church in the spirit and in, the love, and in love is the most powerful evangelistic tool that we can ever have. Do you realize that? How you demonstrate your love for the people in the pew next to you is the greatest example that you can show to the world. 
of the change and the transformation that has taken place in your heart and in your life. Jesus died that we might live for him. Are you living for him? Or are you still just living for yourself? The answer to the question tells you if you're saved or not. Friends, be reconciled to God. A commandment, not a request. Call out to Him for the gospel of peace and be at peace. Reconciled to God who loves you and gave His Son for you. That's it. The gospel is not complicated. The only people that make the gospel complicated are churches that like to put you through hoops. We don't do that. Because there's nothing I can do to help you. I can pray for you, yes. We can preach the gospel, of course we can. We can talk together. But your salvation is dependent upon confessing your sin and your need for the Lord Jesus Christ and recognizing that he died for you and that he was raised to life again and in being raised to life he has raised you to life new life in Jesus Christ and that's the gospel and we rejoice in it if anyone wants to talk to me afterwards uh, you're very very welcome uh, to do so there is refreshments and uh, stuff that we have downstairs uh, make a point of uh, enjoying that and uh, taking part in that. But let's um, sing um, this hymn together. It's entitled, Now I Belong to Jesus. And again, I have to say to you, it helps us to understand. It says, Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. Do you belong to him? Is he your master? I pray.